people think they live in a free country, but you'll find out if you try to exercise your freedom, you're not so free. All those people who died to protect the freedom that we're supposed to have, it looks like they died for nothing because freedom doesn't really exist in reality. It's only beautiful words or an expression of freedom. That's a sad thing, to die for something that you think you're doing to protect people's freedom and it doesn't exist. That's sad. Forty-five years ago, George Maynard committed a minor act of civil disobedience that would have major implications for all Americans. He lived in New Hampshire, which meant that he drove around with a certain phrase on his license plate, the state motto. I cover up the live free or die slogan with a red tape, a reflecting tape. Was it something you already had in your house, or did you go out and buy no, it? No, I went and purchased it. I brought it purposely for that. That tape on Maynard's car? That was the beginning of a years-long legal battle that would land George in jail, cost him his job, and turn him into one of the most important First Amendment crusaders that you've probably never heard of. I'm Mike Vola. I'm Matthew Schwartz. And this is Unprecedented, a show about men and women like George Maynard, who pushed the boundaries of speech. Some of them are pornographers or religious zealots, even Klan members. You know, they're not always the kind of people you'd want to be friends with, but they are passionate and determined, and they've helped us figure out what freedom of speech actually means. If you look at the First Amendment, there are only 10 words on the topic. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. And those 10 words are just that, only words. We need real people to put them to the test, to imbue them with meaning. Today on Unprecedented, a license plate, a piece of tape, and the right not to speak. Also, we think of her as the 10th Justice of the Supreme Court. NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. Mm-hmm. Like you've never heard her before. La, 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 la. <laughs> Stick around. Here's some things to know about George Maynard. I was born in West Warwick, Rhode Island in 1932. I was mostly an orphan boy because my mother died when I was three years old. They put me in an orphanage until I was seven years old, and I was put in boarding school. When I got 18 years old, I went into the service. I was a paratrooper, and I was shipped over to Korea when they first broke out the war. I spent 11 months in Korea, and. I returned home with frozen feet, and I was discharged in Massachusetts, Fort Devens. But in 1952, I met my wife, and we decided to get married, and she was a blessing. It was God sent for me. He sounds so earnest and mild-mannered, not at all like the stereotype of a free speech firebrand. No, he's passionate, but he's no provocateur. And in fact, this story is not at all about what George Maynard said. It's about what he wouldn't say 
in his adopted state of New Hampshire. Here we are in the Granite State. They love their granite, but there's something they love more, and that's freedom. So much... Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say they love their granite and they love their freedom? <laughs> yeah, no, I said they love their freedom more than their granite. So much that they would rather die than be without it. Live free or die became the official state motto in the 1940s, and they put it on license plates in 1969. Five years later, George Maynard is about to have his first run-in with the law. Okay, I think that's about as loud as I can make myself. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, we were going home from shopping. I was getting into my car. I had a blue Toyota. The police officer was writing me up with a summons. My name is Brian Robbins, and at the time, I was a patrolman for the city of Lebanon, New Hampshire. I remember giving a summons out to Mr. Maynard for covering up a portion of his license plate sometime in the early 70s. I cover up the Live Free or Die slogan with a red tape, a reflecting tape. Was it something you already had in your house, or did you go out and buy it? No, I went and purchased it. I bought it purposely for that. And he violated the law at that point. Uh, I take it you can't put tape on your license plate? No, no, not in New Hampshire, not in 1974. There was a law that said you can't cover up or obscure any of the numbers or letters that are on a license plate. If you do, you get a citation, a fine. Even the motto? Including the motto, yeah. It is a great motto. It's like everyone in New Hampshire is a superhero. (laughs) Live free or die. (laughs) It does sound actually like a... I guess, a Marvel tagline. I suspect that most New Hampshireites would agree that it's a great motto, not George Maynard. I became a Jehovah's Witness in 1956. I was baptized. I don't really see what being a Jehovah's Witness has to do with the state motto. Hang with me a sec. Maynard may be living in the present, but he's living for the future. When all governments, including the state of New Hampshire, are replaced by God's kingdom, paradise. And 1974 America was not paradise. A lot of bad stuff going on that year. Watergate, the serial killer Ted Bundy, the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. Maynard is waiting for a world that's free of these earthly concerns. I opposed the slogan for religious reasons. My Christian conscience wouldn't allow me to support that. My main belief is to live under a righteous rule, God's kingdom. In Revelation, he tells us that he will do away with sickness, pain, and sorrow. He's accused of murdering two And so boys. this is the government that I'm looking for. Adopt articles calling for the impeachment of Richard and Nixon. We can see the world is in a bad condition. As serial killers. And according to law enforcement officials, there are at least 35 of them. There's a lot of hatred in this world. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. But under God's kingdom, there won't be any at all. 
So that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to support Live Free or Die, because I'd rather be in bondage and alive and worshiping my God and giving praises. And if I'm dead, I can't do that. I would imagine that when the state legislature voted to put the state motto on all the plates, they probably weren't considering an objection like that. No, no, I would imagine they absolutely were not. Think about it. Maynard is steeped in a a, a rather literal scriptural interpretation that would be, I think, difficult even for most Christians to fully embrace. So... He covered up his plate. He didn't want to be forced to drive around with a message that he disagreed with fundamentally in his very heart. Did he get in trouble? The penalty would have been nothing if George Maynard agreed to stop covering up his license plate, which was something he just couldn't do. They fined me $25 suspended, but I got arrested again because I kept the tape on. They found me guilty again and then fined me a $50 fine. I believe he refused to pay and the judge sentenced him to some time in the House of Correction. If I paid the fine, I I would be admitting my guilt. I said, I'm not guilty of any wrongdoing. So what they did, they sentenced me for 15 days in jail to pay the fine. He could have paid the fine and be done with it, but he he refused to pay. It's ironic that Maynard would lose his freedom for covering up the phrase, live free or die. Yeah, and that, that irony was not lost on Mr. Maynard. It's a strange thing that a person that is a war veteran has to end up in jail because he refused to be dictated to and refused to say, live free or die. In Germany, people who refused to say Heil Hitler, they were put in concentration camps. But in the state of New Hampshire, they put you in jail. That's not freedom. That's, that's dictatorship. You know, for a state to deprive a man to earn a living and to support and provide the needs of the family. Hello? Hello? I'm sorry. I got emotional. I'm shedding some tears right now because... (laughs) I'm sorry, Mr. Maynard. My family... My family suffered unjustly. I get emotional just thinking of it. One of my daughters was eight years old, and and she's she's fifty four now. This happened forty years ago, but it still hurts to know that those poor kids were suffering. They went to a drama to see their father go to jail. That, that is a terrible thing to experience. 
and, and, and this state should be ashamed of themselves for bringing a hardship to a family that wasn't deserving just to promote a slogan. The state confiscated Maynard's plates so he couldn't drive, which meant he couldn't work. He had a job at a print shop. He was a, a negative assembler, he called it, and they replaced him. George was devastated, and he, he channeled that despair into action. He sued the sheriff's department of Lebanon, New Hampshire, for violating his First Amendment rights, and it went to the Supreme Court. So we're looking at a First Amendment challenge. Right, but how, how do we use those words in the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, how do we use that to decide whether or not the law that Maynard is challenging is constitutional? We'll find out after the break. But first... Live free or die? (laughs) Come on, did Stan Lee write that? Coming soon or never to a theater near you. Forged in the igneous quarries of New Hampshire, this chip off the old block must live free or die. Meet the superhero who puts the bad guys between a rock and a hard place. From Booksmart Studios, it's Granite Man. I love my granite, and I love my freedom. This summer, don't take your freedom for granite. Next in uh, Woolley against Maynard. Mr. Cohn. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it uh, please the court. That is Maynard's attorney, Richard Cohn, arguing before the Supreme Court back in the 1970s. Here he is today. I think the crux of the matter is that in a free society, one's beliefs should be shaped by his own mind and his conscience rather than coerced by the state. That sounds like a poetic way of saying that here in America, we should be able to think for ourselves. But I want to bring this back down to the level of, you know, license plates and state mottos. Matt, you are the lawyer. What is the specific issue here before the Supreme Court? Okay, the specific question the court has to answer is this. Can the state have a law that requires an individual driving a car on the state's roads to carry a message on that car that he or she disagrees with? Mm -hmm. Or does a law like that violate the First Amendment? That's the issue. And the state of New Hampshire tries to preempt this whole case by saying, wait a second, First Amendment? We don't need to bring the First Amendment into this because carrying the state motto on your license plate doesn't count as speech. What? That makes no sense to me. Speech doesn't need to be spoken, right? It can be written, too. And this whole case is about how Mr. Maynard is being forced to say something in the form of a a motto embossed on his license plate that he doesn't want to say. It's, it's the First Amendment. 
No, no. Mike, New Hampshire argued that the state isn't forcing Maynard to say anything. The, the motto's on everybody's car. Not just George's car. It's, it's everywhere. It's clearly not George Maynard's message. Nobody thinks it's Maynard's message. It's, it's just, it, it's the motto. It's, it's just a thing. It's on the cards. Oh, so everybody's saying it. Right. Therefore, nobody's saying it. Exactly. Maynard's got it on his car. I've got it on my car. You've got it on your car. Everybody's saying it, so nobody's saying it. So no speech. No First Amendment issues at all. That's the argument. I'm not buying it. Okay, well, here's the attorney for the state of New Hampshire, Robert Johnson II, telling the Supreme Court that most people in New Hampshire don't even pay attention to the motto on the license plates. They accept it as the fact that it is required to be placed on their license plates by the legislature in New Hampshire. By no stretch of the imagination can the appellees be said to agree with the state motto merely because it's required to be placed on their license plates. Uh, Nebraska, the Cornhusker state, uh, does everyone seeing a vehicle from Nebraska reasonably believe that the registrant of that vehicle necessarily himself believes that Nebraska is a Cornhusker state? or that everyone in Nebraska is a Cornhusker. A license plate hangs out at the end of the vehicle, and nobody can reasonably say that this is an affirmation of faith, a required affirmation of belief on the part of a registrant of a motor vehicle. I, I understand the argument that he's making, but the point isn't whether anybody believes that Maynard himself agrees with live free or die. The point is that Maynard strongly disagrees with live free or die and doesn't want it on his car. This is about what Maynard is being forced to say against his will. In fact, some of the justices made that very point. Here's Justice Potter Stewart. It's it's compelling somebody to advertise a belief in which he doesn't believe either because of religious reasons or political or philosophical reasons. That's correct. And on this particular point, the court agreed. Here's Richard Cohn. The importance of the Maynard v. Willie case is the court did recognize that there was expression going on here. Yeah, of course there's expression going on here. And it's not, it's not some anodyne phrase. This is expression that contains a point of view. Live free or die is ideological. In fact, it's, it's dogmatic. It is a very strong statement. So the motto does count as speech. Now, with that established, we can get to the heart of the issue. Here's how the Supreme Court decides a question like this. If the state of New Hampshire wants to force Maynard to speak, it has to demonstrate that it has what's called a compelling state interest for doing so. In plain English, all that means is that the government needs to show it has a really good reason for the law. So the Supreme Court is saying, look, New Hampshire, you are potentially violating a fundamental principle of the Constitution, the First Amendment, by forcing somebody to speak. We're not saying that you can't do that, but you have to convince us that it's necessary. Right. They've got to show a compelling interest. Okay, so then what counts as a compelling interest? Aha. That's the million-dollar question. And it's basically whatever a majority of the Supreme Court says it is. 
Oh, that's satisfying. (laughs) Well, I mean, the justices have some guidance. National security usually counts as a compelling state interest, for instance. You know, laws that protect the safety of our citizens, that sort of thing. Okay. But there's a lot of gray area. And every justice brings their own personal beliefs, their own biases, their own analyses to figure out whether New Hampshire has a really good reason for the law. I actually can't imagine what that reason would be, but I'm listening. Well, the government was arguing a couple of things. First, that promoting this message... Live free or die? Live free or die. Promoting that message is a good and healthy thing for the state. Here's Chief Justice Warren Burger questioning Robert Johnson, the attorney for New Hampshire. Does your case depend upon this having been declared the motto of the state officially by the legislature? I think, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, that it does have some bearing because by the legislature's having so declared this to be the official state motto, the legislature has, in effect, said that the motto is of importance to the state of New Hampshire, which brings me to the interests of the state of New Hampshire in having the motto on its license plates. The motto not only symbolizes the heritage of New Hampshire, it fosters an appreciation General Johnson, of... could I interrupt before you get to the state? He was interrupted, but you get the point. I do, and I got to be honest, that sounds tautological to me. The state of New Hampshire is arguing that because the legislature has declared live free or die to be the official state motto, that it's important. And therefore, because it's important, Important, it needs to appear on all of the plates. It's important because it's important. Yeah, it's important <laughs> because it involves history and state pride, I suppose. But there are other ways to promulgate the state motto. They don't need to force people to put it on their license plates. That that doesn't feel like a compelling state interest to me, a really good reason. Okay, well, the state gave another reason. Secondly, the motto live free or die and its requirement that it be placed upon motor vehicle license plates has to do with the registration of motor vehicles, the use of the highways, an efficient registration system of motor vehicles, and other recognizable interests of the state of New Hampshire. I don't even really know what that means. Basically, the state was just arguing that the motto on the license plates shows which cars are non-commercial passenger vehicles. And so that's why they needed the motto on the plates. First of all, I'm not sure why they need to distinguish between non-commercial and commercial vehicles, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they do. Okay. Why can't they just make the plates a different color? (laughs) That would do it. I mean, it sounds to me like maybe the state was looking for a justification after the fact. Again, probably not a compelling interest. And now Maynard's attorney, Richard Cohn, comes in to deliver the final blow. Here he is at the Supreme Court. They've selected a a message which they want to project. They select a billboard, has to appear on all uh, non-commercial license plates in the state, and then they make it a criminal offense to cover that over. I think that if the court were to uphold this sort of thing, then the state could require all citizens to wear a pin or an armband, or they could require you to have a plaque on your door next to your address uh, saying live free or die. 
By a vote of seven to two, the Supreme Court ruled that George Maynard has the right to cover up his license plate. From National Public Radio in Washington, this is Bob Edwards. And I'm Susan Stamberg with All Things Considered. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a state may not require drivers to display the state motto on a license plate. More from NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. Today's ruling involves the personal battle of a New Hampshire couple named George and Maxine Maynard. Writing for the court, Chief Justice Warren Burger said that the First Amendment guarantee to freedom of expression entitles a person to speak freely and also not to speak at all. He said that the New Hampshire... This is a victory, not just for George Maynard, but for Mike Volo, Matthew Schwartz, every American. All because Maynard wouldn't simply pay the fine and be done with it. The Supreme Court took this opportunity to reaffirm an incredibly important principle that we cannot be coerced to say things that we disagree with. Yeah, let me just read from Warren Berger's opinion. He says, The right to speak and the right to refrain from speaking are complementary components of the broader concept of individual freedom of mind. This is the court recognizing that the First Amendment is not just about what you say, it's about what you don't want to say. That's beautifully written. It is, but it occurs to me as I hear those words out loud, we neglected to ask George Maynard how he felt about this historic victory. I imagine he's happy. Yeah, I imagine he is, but I'd like to hear it from him. Well, let's, let's give him a call. Let's call him. He did leave New Hampshire a while ago. He and his wife now live in Connecticut, which is the Constitution state. Connecticut, huh? Who's the superhero in Connecticut? Maynard, I guess. Good afternoon. Mr. Maynard, this is Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good, good. We had one more question to ask you, if you don't mind. How do you feel about the fact that you went through this this saga? You spent a couple of weeks in jail. There was a, a really profound effect on your family, but ultimately... You were vindicated. Well, in which way was I vindicated? Why did the Supreme Court, was it 7 to 2? Yes. So it wasn't 100%. How come? If we are free, and the law says that we are free to exercise our freedom of, of thinking and speech... How come we didn't get 100%? That is a a really good question. Why wasn't it 100%? Well, the dissent acknowledged that people do have a right to refrain from speaking. They just didn't think that the state motto on every license plate 
actually counted as speech. You mean the everybody's saying it, therefore nobody's saying it argument. It's on all the cars. Exactly. Everybody is saying it, so nobody's saying it. Also, Matt, remind us what the court had to go on in the late 1970s. Had there been a a compelled speech case before that time that would have informed their their thinking? That's a good question. Um, I think we should ask the 10th justice. She was there. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Nina Totenberg. (laughs) Nina, can you just tell us what the problem was with the all things considered theme in the 1970s? Did NPR think that was cool? Well, first of all, they didn't have the money for an orchestra. <laughs> it, you know, it was a decent tune. But you were dancing along. I, I just want to point out that Nina Totenberg's head was bobbing up and down in the studio as she was listening to that. You know, I would have speeded it up a little bit. It's like a raven here all of a sudden. Nina, we, we referred to you as the 10th justice. Is that fair? That's, that's fine. I'm happy to be the 10th justice. It makes um, more women on the court. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Ruth Ginsburg. When they're all nine, that's when I'll be happy. All right, Nina. When this case was decided, what did the justices have to go on? Like, what was the state of the law on compelled speech before George Maynard covered up his license plate? Well, I don't think there was a lot. In 1943, which is, after all, a long time before this, the court, in the middle of World War II, said that you cannot force a student at a public school to stand and salute the flag if that is contrary to that individual's, in this case, beliefs and religion. It was a remarkable opinion because it was in the middle of World War II, and it was written by Justice Robert Jackson, who's one of the wise men of the court of the 20th century. He wrote so beautifully, and he said, If there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. Any fixed star in our constitutional constellation. Mm. So with that as the backdrop, that decision, fast forward 30, 35 years, George Maynard asked us, why wasn't this a 9-0 to zero decision? Which, given the court's opinion in the flag salute case, I think it's a valid question. Can you shed any light on that? Well, there were two dissenters, Justice, eventually to become Chief Justice, William Rehnquist, and Harry Blackman from Minnesota, who my guess is would not have reached the same result, you know, 10 or 15 years later. He did change over time in his view. And what Rehnquist said was that we're not really putting words in your mouth. We're not even making you salute the flag. Everybody knows you have to have a a license plate. Nobody really thinks that you believe everything that's on the license plate. At the same time, live free or die was sort of a, as I recall it, and I was alive then, (laughs) um, as I recall it, sort of a a defiant, anti-government, keep your hands off of me in all respects kind of expression. Maynard thought he was being 
drafted, essentially, into this expression, and it almost didn't matter what it was. It was not his, and it was almost like a false god in a way. Mm-hmm. And there, it's no accident that a lot of these cases, at least in that period of time, involved Jehovah's Witnesses because they had such strong religious views about the state superseding their godly beliefs. In fact, the flag salute case was also brought by Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. That's right. It's no accident that these... And there are other cases. I think they also were easier for the court because nobody really felt threatened by the Jehovah's Witnesses. There weren't a lot of them. It wasn't going to be a problem. If every Catholic in the state wanted a different license and every Jew wanted a different license, it might have been more problematic. Nina, you live in the District of Columbia, D.C., mm-hmm. where the license plates all say taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that slogan? I haven't given it two seconds of thought. You drive around with it every day. Mm-hmm. You carry it around like a mobile billboard on the back of your car. Well, we are taxed and we don't have full representation, so I don't disagree with it. Would you prefer a different slogan? You mean like listen to NPR? <laughs> <laughs> That would be a little self-serving. That's what bumper stickers are for. So Maynard was in 1977, the decision, and compelled speech cases come up in front of the court every five, six, seven years or so. Or more. We'll be talking next episode about another compelled speech case that you also covered, this one from just last year. Yes, only this one involves abortion, people who claim they were tricked. This is not about just some license plate. This is about how people live their lives and the values by which they live their lives and the freedom to live their lives as they see fit and the freedom of others to prevent what they see as murder. It's not quite as easy a question as the George Maynard case. No, not nearly as easy a question. I have one final question for you, Nina. The Maynard opinion was written by a man named Warren Berger. He joined the court in the late 1960s. Earlier that decade, there was a man on the court named Felix Frankfurter. Mm -hmm. Frankfurter? Berger? How do you explain that? (laughs) Well, they were probably both baseball fans. so pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Unprecedented is a production of Booksmart Studios. It was produced by me, Matthew Schwartz, and my good buddy, Mike Vola. Granite Man and the Granite Man narrator were voiced by Joshua Brown and Joshua Bornfield. If you love the show, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets. Also, Rate and review Unprecedented on your podcast app. Tell your pets. Why not? <laughs> what, what are they going to do with it? Sometimes people let podcasts play for their animals while they're out of the house. You heard it here, folks. Play Unprecedented when you leave the house and your dog will basically earn a law degree. If you liked what you heard today, please become a member of Booksmart Studios. Members get access to bonus segments and written columns, But more importantly, you'll be supporting everything we do here at Booksmart Studios. Thank you for your support. Yeah.
You know, the Bible says if you're older than 70 years old, you have extra might. And so evidently, Jehovah gave me extra might to be able to enjoy life very much. Life is very precious. It's a wonderful gift. To live forever in a paradise earth is something to live for and die for. And I'm willing to do that. That's the one I'd be willing to die for.